Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Y'all look good. You look good. You ought to look at each other, man. Y'all are looking good today. Looking good today. Well, I, I am certainly glad to be here and um, glad to be here at One Cause. And uh, I, I'm glad that I'm here today without my brother here because he, he teaches homiletics at Christ for the Nations, teaching people how to preach. And it's just nice to not have that kind of critic sitting in the room. You know, when, you, when we got to preach, just keep your opinions to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and what a, what a what a pleasure to be here, and I'm uh, my my brother and I, I. I would say we're best of friends, and we weren't always that way. Uh, he irritated me, and I hated him. And uh, but but the Lord has done a good work, <laughs> and uh, and helped us to uh, come together as friends and. Um, uh, but, uh, but I do know that the value of our family went up when he married Heather. And so we're grateful to have Heather a part of our family and know that, uh, that, that she says, I'm the glue of the family. Well, she's, she's certainly the glue for Eric and kind of keeps him, kind of keeps him together. And, um, man, don't you love the Lord today? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. How many of you, I guess the most important question I could ask you today is how many of you know that God loves you? He does love you. He loves you so very much. Now, if you are visiting here today, I want to say welcome to you, but I also want to say please don't judge or measure this church by anything you're about to hear me say. Uh, Come back to hear the wonderful pastor here. Uh, He's a good good man, and uh, and, uh, you'll you'll be glad that you came to to hear him, okay? All right, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7. And uh, while you're turning to Acts chapter 7, I just want to say for those of you that don't know who I am, I am Eric's younger brother, and by the video, you can tell that we're years apart. (laughs) Actually, we're one year apart. We're not that far. Uh, I did have, my brother did come to my church uh, a couple of years ago, and a lady was sitting in the audience, and she she came to me afterwards, and she said, I turned to my daughter, and I said, "Uh, you see that guy right there? And talking about my brother, Eric, and, and she said, yeah, she said, that's what Pastor Brandon's going to look like in 15 years. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. anytime I get a chance to rub that in, I do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm the pastor of Life Unlimited Church. We have two campuses, one in Austin, one in Lockhart. And uh, I'm the husband of one wife, praise the Lord, for one wife. Yes, her name is, her name is Jennifer. I, uh, I don't know why you'd, I know, you know, there are people that are married more than, more than one wife at a time, and I don't know why you'd do that to yourself, but uh, one is all I can handle. Plus, on top of that, she's Hispanic, so she's a lot to handle, and uh, she's wonderful in every way. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, did you hear about the guy who, who, once he got married, became a millionaire? Uh, they asked him what he was before he got married, and he said a multimillionaire. Uh, one, is, one is enough. One is enough. And, uh, but we have four kids. We have four amazing kids. Our oldest daughter right here, this is Morgan. Morgan, stand up. Let everybody see you. This is, this is our oldest daughter, Morgan. And, um, and then uh, our son, Coy, he, he just graduated from high school. 
And uh, then we have two more, a daughter, Naomi, she's 15, and another daughter named Macy, she's 11, and she's the boss. And um, so we all just do our part to, to live in her world. And, um, but uh, I'm grateful to be, to be a, uh, a part of what God is doing in the earth, aren't you? Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 7. Before we read this, I just want to pray. So let's do that now. Father, we love you today. We thank you for this this day, this opportunity, Lord, we, we believe that as we have made an appointment with you, you have made an appointment with us. So this is a divine time. This is an appointed moment. And so we believe, Lord, that you're going to speak to us. Lord, as the Apostle Paul prayed, I also pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be at work within our hearts so that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened today. So that we would know you better, so that we would know the greatness of your power and the exceeding riches of your inheritance in us. Lord, we came today to, to worship, and we came to give, and we came to serve, and we came to hear the word, and we came to fellowship. And Lord, I believe that at every point, you're meeting us along our journey today. So we say, as the prophet Samuel said, speak, Lord, we're listening. Transform us and change us now more into who you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you say something nice to your neighbor? Would you tell them how pretty they are? Or I'm really glad to be sitting next to you or something. I, I don't know if you, if you noticed what just now happened. And it's a small thing if, you, if, if you're too busy, but it's a big thing if you pay attention to it. I told you to tell your neighbor how pretty they were, and did you hear me? People started laughing. And we're not laughing. We're not laughing because because it's a stretch to tell them that they're pretty. But that's what encouragement does. Encouragement lightens the heart that fast. Be, be, be a distributor of hope and encouragement to people. It, it lifts the burdens of life instantly. It's not a long process. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, 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 a difficult thing to do. You know, I mean, we, how much does it cost us to give away hope? Nothing. How much does it cost us to encourage somebody? Nothing. But what it does for them is immeasurable in value. Yeah. Amen. So be an encourager. Amen. Acts chapter 7. Before we read this, I'm going to start in verse 1, but before we read, I've got to give you a little bit of background. This is a story of a man named Stephen. He was the first martyr in the scriptures. But Stephen was a deacon. He was appointed to serve in Acts chapter 6. He and six other guys were appointed to serve tables and to make sure that the widows of the church were being taken care of. But the Bible doesn't define Stephen's life by serving tables. The Bible defines his life like this. It says, Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. You know, today we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday, the day that we mark that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all humanity. How many of you glad to be filled with the Holy Spirit today? I'm so glad to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're, we're, we're marking today as the day that God poured out His Spirit and empowered us, gave us, gave us the power to live this Christian life. What I love about Acts 1.8 is Jesus says that, that, that you'd receive the Holy Spirit and He would come upon you and you would receive power to be made a witness. I just want to point out something to you. The Bible doesn't say that. This is a side note. We might have to take up an extra offering for it. But uh, this is just a side thought. The Bible doesn't say that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Jesus didn't say the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you so that you can do witnessing. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you so that you can be a witness. You see, the Holy Spirit's more interested in, about, in your being than in your doing. 
Religion wants to make it about the doing, but the Holy Spirit wants to make it about the being. This is who you be. I know that's horrible grammar, but I'm from Oklahoma, so give me a pass. The Holy Spirit is determined that you become who God wants you to be. He's leading and guiding us to truth. The Bible says in John chapter 16 that he comes as our helper. Listen, there's no, there's no need to go through this life trying to do it all on your own. You have a helper, the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, back to Stephen, sorry. Uh, back to Stephen, it says he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. That's how his life was defined. So I just want to tell you, for those of you who are serving in the church, look at these wonderful people back here serving yeah. with, the, with the video and the sound and the worship team and the ushers and the greeters and the children's workers and everybody who's doing their part. Let me just tell you, those of you who are involved, don't just do it just because it's a job to do. Don't just pass the offering bucket just because it's what you're assigned to do today. Everything that you do in the house of God ought to be done full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yes. Because Stephen is serving tables and miracles are breaking out. He's taking care of widows and God's doing a supernatural move. And it's so great that it got the attention of the established religion and they weren't sure that they liked it. And some of them said that he was preaching blasphemy. And so they bring him now before this court to make him answer for what he's done. In verse 1, Acts chapter 7, verse 1 says, Then the high priest said to Stephen, Are these things so? Is it true that you've done this, Stephen? Is it true? Now what's going to happen next, starting in verse 2, begins the longest recorded sermon in the Bible. So we're going to be here a while. <laughs> we'll skip. We'll skip through it. We're not going to be here that long. We'll skip around. Say thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Verse 2. And Stephen said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. See, the fact that he even put Mesopotamia in there tells you it's going to be a long sermon. Before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I'll show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. Okay, that's awesome. But you didn't answer the question, Stephen. The question is, did you blaspheme? Are you preaching blasphemy? And Stephen breaks off into a history lesson. With the guys who most likely taught him the history. These men had the ability and the authority to stone him to death. To execute him. And he knew that the penalty for blasphemy, blasphemy was stoning. Here are the men that are going to decide his fate. And they said, are you blaspheming, Stephen? And he says, well, let me just give you a history lesson. And in near 60 verses of Scripture, not one time did Stephen pause to defend himself. Not once. Let's skip around. Verse 8. Then God gave Abram the covenant of circumcision, so Abraham begot Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs, and, and the patriarchs became envious 
sold Joseph into Egypt. So he's gone from talking about Abraham, now he's talking about Isaac, now he's talking about Jacob, and now he's talking about Joseph. Let's look at verse 20. At this time, Moses was born. Oh, now here we go, a little further down in the history, and was pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months, but when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away. So we know that story. Now he's talking about Moses. Now go to verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Again, he's preaching to the choir. Verse 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as God appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. He's just not stopping. Stephen, did you blaspheme? Well, I want to talk to you about the God of Abraham and Isaac, and let's talk about Jacob, and let's talk about Moses, and let's talk about Joshua, and let's talk about David, and let's talk about Solomon. I don't know about you, but I just read that and I think, what are you talking about? Stephen, where are you going? Your life is on the line. These men are going to kill you. Verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. And he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What a story. But as I, as, I, as I looked at this story, I think, okay, what, what, Stephen had to have been making a bigger point here than just a history lesson. The marvelous things that he talks about, they're amazing things that he talks about, but the most amazing thing to me in this story is he says that he saw Jesus standing at the throne of God, at the right hand of God. He saw him standing. The reason why that's amazing is because Jesus doesn't stand. He sits. And the Bible, through the Apostle Paul, emphasizes to us that we are now seated with him. What was it that made Jesus stand up on his feet? Why was Jesus standing up for a history lesson? Well, I'm not a Bible scholar, although my Bible trivia app tells me that I am. <clears throat> But I believe the truth that Stephen is actually tapping into is a truth that's easily overlooked if we're not careful ourselves. Stephen said to them, 
you're judging all of this by this event, by this moment. But I'm here to tell you that this is not about this moment. Because I'm not serving a God of this moment. I'm serving a God of a movement that began 2,000 years ago with our father Abraham. And it went to Isaac and it's passed down to Jacob. And it went to Joseph and it went to Moses and it went to Joshua. And it went to David and it went to Solomon. A thousand years from Abraham to David and a thousand years from David to now. And this movement, you are not going to stop. You can kill me, but I'm just a speed bump in the process because you are not going to stop this train that is moving in the earth. And this is what, we, what I'm a part of. I'm a part of something greater than just this moment. So you're not going to sum my life up to this moment and call it blasphemy because I'm a part of something bigger than that. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself defining your life by the moments of your life rather than by the movement of God in your life. We have a setback and a failure. We hear people say these things all the time. Well, life was going great until the, until the divorce. Or life was going great and, until the bankruptcy. And their life at that moment today is now defined by a past event. A past moment in their life has now defined their whole future. And although they think they may be moving forward at times, they're not really moving forward. They just keep walking around that thing. Because this is what defines my life now. Now my life is revolving around a moment. That the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said our light afflictions are but for a moment. It's just a moment. These moments, although they do happen to us and they are very real, they are not the definers of our life. What defines our life is God and Jesus Christ and His Word. The Bible says that your identity is hidden in Christ. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means that now Christ is the expert on who you are. If your identity is hidden in Him, who's it hidden from? It's hidden from you. So you got to go to Him to find out who you are. And what you find in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 3, is that you are called, you are chosen, you are blessed, you are loved. It says over and over and over and over in those three chapters who you are in Christ. In Him you are. In Christ you are. In Him you are. In Christ you are. In Him you are. In Christ you are. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, these moments are not more powerful than the move of God. That means that no matter how many times we fail, we can get up and God can still use us. That means no matter what we've experienced in our life, we've not forfeited the move of God in our life. You may look at your life, and I've heard people say, well, it's just the hand that I'm dealt. Okay, it's just the hand that you're dealt, but you can still win with that hand because you have God. He can take a hand that would fail in any other arena, but you put it in his hands and he causes you to win. The Bible says, thanks be to God. We sang about it this morning. Thanks be to God who always, not sometimes, not not 50% of the time, not 20% of the time, but God, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Always, always leads us in triumph. That means that even though in the natural it may look like a failure, in the natural it may look like a mistake or a loss, But in the kingdom of God, there's still gain there. There's still gain. See, the world system, the world system says that you take gains, the gains of life, and you subtract the losses of life, and the outcome then decides whether you were a success or failure. But the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God works like this. You take faith, and you mix it with seed, and it produces an outcome in your life.
So everything that the world would call loss, you can actually call seed in the kingdom of God and believe that there's a harvest of return coming back to you. Someone steals something from you? Don't let your life be defined by theft. Choose to say, I sow that as seed. Now, it wasn't seed I wanted to sow, but I'll sow it anyway. Because I understand in the kingdom of God that faith and seed will bring an outcome for me that's positive and that's good. And God has a great plan for your life. But if you define it by these moments, you'll miss these, 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 these moves of God in the earth and the great things that God wants to do. And what happens is that we have these events that are very real, and people treat you very unfairly. And I, listen, you don't have to live longer than 10 minutes to realize that there are people in this world that are out to do harm to other people. Amen. So there are people that have taken advantage of you. Just, just the, the, the statistics alone tell me that there's, there's, a, there's a high percentage of people in this room that have been taken advantage of, that have been abused. Statistics tell us that one in three women, one in three women have been physically or sexually abused in their lifetime. One in three. That means there's a percentage sitting in this room right now that has suffered severe damage to their mind and to their soul. But God says, I know what the statistics are, but I'm still greater than the statistics. And I can turn this around. If you'll come to me and not let your life be defined by that moment, but you'll come to me and and let, let me define your life, then God will turn it around. He'll turn it around. That's how he moves. Can't let the moments define us they're just moments they're not the final authority god's the final authority he can turn everything around he can turn it all around and i don't mean to sound insensitive because i know that hurts are very real but but more important the more important thing you need to know is that god knows the hurts are very real and the bible says that you have a high priest As Jeremiah talked about, the mediator between God and man, you have a high priest, the Bible says, who is touched by your feelings. When you hurt, he feels that. And it moves him when you're in pain. God takes no pleasure in your your hurt. God takes no pleasure in your pain. And if I could say anything on the Lord's behalf, I would say this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that people did those things to you. I'm sorry that they did those to you. But today's the day we get over it. Today's the day we say, you know what, that's not going to define me anymore. I'm not going to continue to circle that mountain one more time. Today I'm moving forward and I'm walking away from that event in my life. I'm moving forward. I'm going I'm to be a part of the move of God rather than let my life be defined by some tra- tragedy or some catastrophic event. I'm moving forward with God. He's moving in the earth. He's moving in the earth. The Bible says that, <clears throat> that Abel was the, the second son of Adam and Eve. And Abel gave an offering, and God liked his offering better than Cain's offering, his older brother, and Cain killed him for it. If you take the world system of gains and subtract loss, you would have to say that Abel failed. Here's a guy that raised a sheep, sacrificed it to God, and got killed for it. What else? That's it. That's it. But when you understand how the moves of God work, then you look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and the Bible says that by faith Abel gave a greater sacrifice, and his blood still speaks. 
It wasn't just that moment. It actually began a movement that was sweeping the earth, and the generation after Abel didn't see it, and the next generation after him didn't see it, and the third generation didn't see it, and the fourth generation didn't see it, but the fifth generation, along comes a man named Enoch. And Enoch said, I heard, I heard about a God that I could have a relationship with, and he did, and he poked his head into that jet stream that Abel had kicked into motion in the earth. He poked his head in, and he said, oh, I like this. And God liked him so much, the Bible says that one day he just said, why don't you just come home with me? And took him home. And then the next generation didn't do anything. And the next generation didn't do anything. And then the third generation after Enoch, along comes a man named Noah. How did Noah know that there needed to be built an ark because rain was coming and rain had never come before? Well, we know God told him, but how did he know God was speaking? Well, he poked his head into what God was doing. He poked his head into the jet stream. Huh, I like this. I like this up here. And God used him to save the entire human race. And all throughout the centuries, men and women have chosen to put aside to put aside the moments and the persecution and the trouble and the pain and say, I believe there's a greater cause than this. I didn't live this life just to sum it up by the pain that I've experienced, but I'm living this life to experience the move of God and to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. And I believe those people are sitting here. I believe one cause is that kind of church. It says we're not going to sit on the sidelines and just be a mere part of history, but we're going to be the kind of church that makes history, the kind of church that rises up and says we're a part of what God is doing in the earth, and we're not going to be summed up by just these mere small light afflictions that are just moments in time. We rise above them all. No matter how great the world says that they are, they're still not greater than our God. The Bible says in, in Psalm chapter 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. It's not about making God bigger. It's about making God bigger to me. And, at that, and when you find yourself in trouble, that's when you've got to start magnifying God. Getting Him bigger. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 says it like this. Seeing that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance and with patience the race that is set before us. That means that the Bible is telling us that there is a group of people that are watching. And the group of people that are watching you run your race today are those group of people. It's the group of people that throughout history, through thousands of years, decided to poke their head into the flow of God. Abel is sitting in that crowd. Abraham is in that crowd. Isaac is in that crowd. Today it's time that we stop talking so much about our problems and get back to talking about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And these men are in that crowd. Joseph is there. Jacob is there. Moses is there. You feel like you're being drowned. You feel like you're drowning and water's rising all around you. There's a voice in that crowd named Noah that rises up and says, Nathan, keep running your race. You feel like everybody's turned against you and nobody believes in you anymore. Then Joseph stands up and says, run your race. You can do it. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you feel like you've been betrayed? You feel like those closest to you have turned their back on you? 
There's a voice that rises above them all named Jesus Christ who says, I've been there. I experienced it. You can make it. Everything's going to be all right. Keep running your race. You're a part of something bigger than this moment. Don't let your life be summed up by these moments that you experience. We're part of something great. Keep running your race. Lift up your eyes. I'll finish with this. Isaiah chapter 6. There's a very interesting story in the Bible. It says that Isaiah writing, it says, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he was high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And the angels flew around singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And a voice called from heaven and said, who will go for us and whom shall I send? And I said, here am I, send me. The angel took the coal and touched him on the lips. And he was appointed and sent by God. It's a wonderful story. There's a detail in the story that you may not be aware of that seems like a small, fairly insignificant detail, but is very important for this moment today. And it's in verse 1. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In part, he was marking a time frame around the death of King Uzziah. But what you may not know, but what Jewish history tells us, is that Isaiah and Uzziah were best of friends. They actually were raised in the same house. So Isaiah is not just saying when some random king died. Isaiah says, In the year when I felt loss, and I felt sorrow, and I felt pain. In the year when I was hurting the most, I saw God. I'm telling you, no matter how great your pain is, if you'll just dare lift your eyes up and look, you'll see him. He's there with you to help you. He's there to pick you up and carry you when you need him to. You can. You can make it. We sang it this morning. The team sang it. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Well, how do you know that? I I don't know how it's going to be all right, but I know that it's going to be all right because God is with you. And the Bible says if God is for you, who can stand against you? The Bible says that God makes all things work together for your good. Actually, the Bible says that God works all things. Can I just encourage you with something? Stop trying to work it yourself. Let him work it. God works all things. But, but let me tell you something. You have a part to play. You have the faith in the seed. Yes. Yes. N- nothing, just, nothing just lands in your lap that you just, it's all cakes and roses. Th- this life takes determination and it takes, that's why the Bible says, because you're, watch, you're being watched by this cloud of witnesses, run the race with perseverance. It, it takes an effort. You, you've got to put forth some effort into this. You can't just sit back in your, in your lazy boy and think that everything's going to turn out all right. You've got to put your hands to some things. Whatever your hands touch prospers, the Bible says. Not just you prosper, but whatever your hands touch prospers. So you've got a part to play. And every, every great opportunity comes dressed in work clothes. And, and you've got a part to play, and you've you got to participate in this process. You got faith, you got seed. And those two things. You, and you got God. Those two things that He puts in your hands, they make everything possible. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I just want to.
I said I was going to close with that thought, and I am, but I think this is going to help somebody. Let me tell you something. If you look at the children of Israel, they were living in the wilderness. You can find this in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. They were in the wilderness trying to get to the promised land. They sent in the spies. The spies came back. We know 10 had a negative report and 2 had a positive report, Joshua and Caleb. That's why everybody names their kids after Joshua and Caleb. But in, in chapter 14, this is after they've already gotten the report. It says the people began to cry out and say, why has God done this? It would have been better if we just were in Egypt. It's time for us to appoint a new leader. This is a group of people who had been in the wilderness and God had been giving them fresh, homemade heaven bread every day. Fresh bread every day. Quails. Quails were coming, laying down at their feet saying, eat us. Water was coming out of rocks. And they saw a giant. Said, we can't do it. They had a pillar of fire in front of them every night to keep them warm. They had a pillar of cloud during the day to shade them from the sun. And they saw a giant. And they reduced God down to the size of that giant. Actually made him smaller than that giant. And if you're not careful, you'll reduce God down to the size of your disappointment. And you'll forget how great your God is. And you'll judge him based on what you think he can't do or won't do because you've already had this setback or this disappointment. But I'm here to tell you what Caleb said. Rise up! God is with us! Their protection has left them! They're bred to us! Whatever you're facing is just bread. The easiest thing in the world to eat. You can eat it without teeth. No effort to eat bread. But they have all of these miracles happening. Every day, miracles happening. But I, just, I want you to ponder on something for a minute. That still wasn't promised land living. God doesn't, God's desire for your life is not for you to just eke out day to day, depending on a miracle every single day to get by. They had that, but that still wasn't the promised land. The Bible says that the moment they crossed the Jordan River and came into the promised land, the pillar of fire went away, the pillar of cloud went away, the manna stopped, the quail stopped, and God put seed in their hand. You see, promised land living is faith and seed. It's faith and seed. God has a wonderful life for you, but you've got to get away from, moment, from, from momentary living. Gains and losses, put that away. Take faith. Take seed and do something great with God in the earth. Amen. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths of your word. And Lord, today we celebrate the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We celebrate that we're a part of a move. 
that's greater than any moment, than greater than any setback that we may experience. And so today, Lord, we lay it all at your feet. We lay all the disappointments at your feet. We lay the failures. We lay the mistakes. We, we, we lay the hurt and the abuse and the brokenness. We lay it all before you today. We say, this is yours. We cast our cares to you because you care for us. This is yours. And we embrace, we lay hold of. We let go of the hurt and we lay hold of your movement in the earth. We say, God, with you all things are possible. With God, with you, I haven't gone too far. With you, you're still able to do something great in my life. No longer will I be defined by the past hurts, but today I'm defined by the majesty of God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, who loves me and gave his life for me. Lord, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Bind up broken hearts, heal wounds, repair, restore, reconcile, and resurrect in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we, we make a commitment today. We make a commitment today that every step forward from here is going to be a forward movement in your move. No longer, no longer are we going to let those moments keep us going in circles. But today we say we join the move of God. And this earth will know that we've been here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.